Sharnell Blevins walks her talk when it comes to the most sensible philosophy about children's successful school experience. Teachers, kids, and parents have got to work together to ensure that all kids grow towards their own unique potential. To that end, Charnel has worked with nonprofit educational organizations for over 25 years. She's currently Parent Engagement Coordinator at SpeakUpParents.org, a highly effective organization for student advocacy through parent engagement and empowerment. Charnel attended public school in Los Angeles all the way through from kindergarten to 12th grade, and all six of her children have attended L.A. area public, charter, and private schools as well. To learn more about Charnel's qualifications and to get links for the topics of our conversation, I hope you will check out the show's notes. This conversation with Charnel brings together several foundational factors for students' successful social-emotional learning and life skills development that are hinging around equality in education for black students. I learned so much, and I'm pretty sure you will too. Welcome to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Mimi White, and you know that I am so glad that you are here. Oh, gotta ask, please remember, if you're finding value from these conversations, rate this podcast and give a review on iTunes. I, I, I'm told it really helps to increase visibility. Thank you. Charnel Blevins, thank you. Welcome to the Big Picture Social thank Emotional po- Learning Podcast. Thank you. Um, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Oh, what you have to share is so important and I have learned so much from you, and I am so excited that our audience can learn it, too. Um, So you are with SpeakUpParents.org, and you are the parent coordinator. What what is your title? I am the parent engagement coordinator, yes. Ah. So I'm with SpeakUpParents. The up means united parents. Uh Speak up, and the up means united parents. I love it. we are a group that was founded a little over five years ago by a group of parents here in Los Angeles who wanted to ensure that parents have a say in their child's education in the fact of in the ballot box, as well as in the way of advocating for their students. And so they got together and wanted to have a board member who uh, listens to all stakeholders, not just teachers or not just admins, but listen to all of them, which includes parents. And so, yeah, they elected a a board member and decided that all parents should have that right because who else but parents have the most vested interest into ensuring that students reach their potential and get the best education possible. Sure. And so, yeah. And so that's why they were founded. And I currently work with um, parents in uh, South Los Angeles, as well as in the southern portion of the county of Los Angeles that covers L.A. Unified covers. And I work with African-American parents with the African-American Parent Advisory Team, Mm -hmm. 
who also advocates for their own children as well as for all Black students in Los Angeles as well as in the state, and they're connected also nationally. And what kind of, uh, how much engagement, how many parents do you see? I mean, is, is it all the parents? Is it just a handful? What's going on in all those uh, groups? So with Speak Up, we have four main campaigns. We have Increasing and Sustaining African-American Achievement. We have English Learner uh, Campaign, uh, which is a group of parents who are looking at sustaining English learners in their ability to access academic curriculum, as well as making sure that parents have a right to be a part of that. Mm. We have a special education uh, campaign that's looking at the needs and resources and things for students with disabilities. And we have a local control accountability, local control funding formula, parent advocacy team as well that's looking at parent engagement looking at how the district is funded from the state of California, which local control funding formula, and how they uh, integrate that into their LCAP, which is the plan to spend the state's money. And then we have something that really started after, off of COVID-19, which is our iFamily and our iTutors program, where we help parents and train parents on the technology that they need to know mm -hmm. at the Safer at Home measures. Mm -hmm. And so they needed to know Zoom. They needed to know the learning management systems and the other things that teachers were using to educate students. And so we teach them on that. And then the iTutor portion of that program matches students with tutors so that they can still get the one-on-one -on -one instruction in this virtual environment. And so really enhance their, their education. And this summer, um, we are doing book clubs with some of our students. And so they're able to still interact with their tutors. And we have had several different colleges um, in the city and across uh, the nation that is represented by our tutors, as well as some retired professors who are part of that program. And so um, Speak Up is multi-pronged, but it's always the parent's approach. What do we need to do to meet the families that ensure that students are increasing their academic achievement and getting the best education they can, but allowing, our, and I shouldn't say allowing, allowing is not the right word, yeah. but helping parents realize that they are empowered to um, speak on behalf of their own students and how do they advocate for their students. Wow. So how much, um, how much do you feel like, say you have a hundred students, how many parents out of a hundred students come and get involved? So I wouldn't necessarily say it on that type of basis. Okay. I would say that um, our membership is almost 4,000 strong, a little bit larger. Oh. Our reach is a lot larger than that. So we're clearly over 3,000 um, parents, but we're probably inching up to about 4,000, maybe a little bit more. I haven't looked at the most recent numbers. But with that, that outreach out there means that we are affecting the yes. 600,000 kids that are in the district LA Unified uh, Service. Wow. So they are very much vocal about what they want to see and they understand you might not get everything you want, but we, you need to listen to the parents' voice and you need to find out what 
they they are saying as a stakeholder in education. Sounds a lot more um, effective than PTA. Yes, I I would think so. Um, PTA really is there in the schools, and one of the things that we do differently is that we teach parents how to use their collective voice at the ballot box. So we have a 2020 election coming up. Everybody will be picking their candidate for this uh, in November. Yes. And it's teaching parents how that process works with a candidate, a local candidate, like mm-hmm. um, for a school board, actually. We're very much about school board. Fabulous. And being able to make that decision and know what that school board member is talking about. And then you also, what happens when that school board member is on the school board? What happens about different issues that's coming up? One of the things that uh, Speak Up was really behind is growth data. California is one of two states in the United States that does not look at growth data for students, which says that where a student starts in the first part of the year, will they have grown what we expect them to grow grow Mm -hmm. in a school year Mm -hmm. academically and so speak up advocated their parents or our parents worked with board members called them sat down with them talked to them went to board meetings and testified before board meetings about the need for growth data that la unified should be at the forefront of Mm -hmm. that and they actually instituted that for la schools la unified schools um, now we would like to see it for all public schools, but we've had more um, interesting things, I think, in 2020 to look at with the safer at home measures and how students are educated right now. But we do want to see growth data because we do want to see kids um, see where they're going and if they're actually growing. Of course. So, of yeah, course. growth data doesn't talk about necessarily where they are by grade level, but where they are at the start of the school year and how far did they learn. In that school year. And like, what are your criteria, uh, like the academic skills or or what, what is the broad picture there? So in a school district, they are assessed, particularly in LA Unified, students are assessed many different ways. And so one of the big things that everybody looks at is the SVAC scores, which is a standard basic academic I think is the, and I could be completely wrong, meaning (laughs) um, with that acronym, we like to use, uh, and I say we, but education likes to use acronyms. Yes, I have noticed Um, that. But SBAC (laughs) is the type of test that the state chose to measure their students after the Common Core State Standards. And so that test is one of the things that everybody looks at. How well are your students doing? Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that we do know is, and, and I said I work with the African-American parent advocacy team, we do know that in the state of California, two out of 10 black students, or I shouldn't say state, well, state of California mimics LA Unified, two out of 10 black students are grade level proficient in math, and three out of 10 our grade level proficiency in English language arts across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of those things that parents are looking at when they look at schools for their children. You know, how well are you educating your children? There's other assessments that they do and the teacher works on to find out that um, we want to make sure that for all students that they're top level. When you talk about growth data, you want to see growth around the 50 percentile range which is an average growth. Mm-hmm. 
So um, if you see in kids that are lower than 15% and 50% and significantly lower, then they're not growing. They're mm-hmm. not even growing their grade level. Mm-hmm. If you see students at 70, 80, 60, 70, 80%, they're growing very rapidly. And so there's a lot of information in the field about growth data and how to use it. And growth data, the reason we push for it is growth data um, is not skewed by socioeconomic means. Okay. And uh, I'm particularly interested for this, the, the basic topic of this, this podcast, which is social emotional learning. I want you to talk to us about academic language and why black students are, are in so much needing that extra help for that. What is, what, what is the, what is the backstory on why they need it, especially much? And then uh, I'd like to hear about some wonderful results of them getting that special education for that skill. So I wouldn't say they need it any more than any other student. Okay. Um, I would say what is happening in education is that there is a language. In, in 2012, uh, Jaime Aquino, who at the time was the superintendent over deputy superintendent of instruction for LA Unified spoke about common core standards and what was now needed based on what the testing was, what the new standards for education was. And he said, in short, that teachers are no longer um, a third grade teacher. They can no longer say they're a third grade teacher or geometry teacher. Teachers are now, all teachers are language teachers. And so they, he said, our teachers in LA Unified um, now hold the keys to unlock the language of academic success. And he was talking about the English Learner Master Plan, which is a language-based plan to ensure that English learners can reach academic language because the SBAC test is a language-based test, whether you're taking the math side of it or the English side of it, or the science side, the new science standards and the new science tests, it's language intensive. Yep. And so because this test is language intensive and it's dealing with academic language, that if you come from, uh, your home language might be English, but if you don't understand academic link language, you will not be able to access the test. Do you mean and, specifically, excuse me for interrupting you, do you mean specifically yeah. a different vocabulary for each discipline when you say academic language? I, yes, a vocabulary for each discipline, but academic language, the verb and the subject need to, the noun and the subject needs to coincide. If I was going to put it in a very simple level, uh-huh. You need a plural verb with a singular subject or noun and vice versa. You know, understand how that is put together. And certain communities don't readily speak academic language. I see. And it's not necessarily wrong language or bad language. It's just the phrasing. And so you see it with English learners, but you also see it in other standard English learning communities. And you see it broad based. Okay. So it's not necessarily a black problem. It is understanding the academic language. And another way to explain it is when you sit down into a chemistry class, you're not going to know the symbols of the peri- periodic chart. 
that. You just don't know what they are. Someone has to teach you that. Sure. And so that's the same thing. The kids are coming to school and they don't understand. And the periodic chart is symbolism of the academic language. They just don't understand what that is and how do I, how do I obtain that? Yeah. And so the teacher is there to help them bridge what they already know to what they need to know to be grade level proficient. And so you see that in many different communities. And that's why I would say that it's not black students have to have special assistance. It really is um, because of institutionalized racism and educational injustice that black students haven't been given the tools to be able to reach academic language. So other populations on campus have been given those tools for different reasons, which is we don't have enough time to talk about today. But because there hasn't been particular emphasis on making sure that black students reach academic language, it's time to start really putting that effort behind there. And one of the reasons for that, uh, it's not that school districts don't necessarily know that this, this is happening. They know the statistics that I gave you, the ten out of right. the two out of ten and the three out of ten. Right. They know that African American students have the lowest rate of grade level proficiency of all um, general education students. What is happening is in the state of California, we have Prop Two Hundred Nine. That was passed in 1996, and it was really pushed as a merit-based program. Let's stop looking at race. Let's stop looking at gender. Everybody should be, um, everybody should be awarded based on merit wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And what has happened? What we've seen happen 25 years later. The practicality of it is when I look, when LA Unified looks and finds out that their lowest performing general education students are black students, when they say we're going to put state monies behind them, our local control funding formula behind those students, because we know we have programming that will uplift their academics, yeah. the state tells them through the County Office of Education that based on Prop 209, you can't put these monies there. Right. And because so, that, that prop actually says prohibits race and gender based funding and programming. Yes, it, 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 it's yes. And in, in the simple word, yes, that's exactly what it tells them. And so you can't use public monies to do that. I mean, there's you can't use public monies to give business enterprise pricing to women. You can't you know, public monies can't be used for so many different things based on race and gender. And so when you have that situation, then you can never move the needle for students who need it. Or you have very little resources to do that. I mean, see, before George Floyd was murdered in front of our eyes, I had heard a little bit of wafting of of these kinds of concepts, but it just seemed, well, that's just so absurd. Somebody's somebody's skewing the facts or something. That's where my head went as an oblivious white woman. I will own that, and I am owning that from this day forward. But that is real. That law was written by people who 
absolutely their intention was to exclude race and to exclude any gender yes. that might take have some advantage from that. I mean, it, how, now that our eyes are open, how, how is there any other way to look at that? How? I don't think there is any other way to look at it. I do right. know that there is some that do. Um, I think that they feel threatened. That is going to overtake what people already have. But what ACA 5, academic, um, academic Assembly Constitutional Amendment 5 in the state this of California. Is, this is what we need to hear about now, yes. Yes, so Assembly Constitutional Amendment 5 um, what it states is it's pulling all of Prop 209, uh, the complete language of it off of the Constitution and restoring back to where it was in 1996. And it does not have quotas. All it's saying is let's give equity to everybody. Let's give everybody a chance to reach their potential. Mm -hmm. If you want to open up a business and you're a woman, Let's make sure that you're able to. Mm -hmm. If you are a Asian Pacific Islander or Latino or a black student and you need extra help and we have the money to do it, let's go ahead and use state funds for that. Um, but the, the one the group that has been really devastated by that in the educational system has been African American students, have been black students. Yeah. Um, and, and black business owners, one of the people on the, uh, that I've spoken to since I've, APAT has joined um, ACA5, the Coalition Opportunity for All, speaks about how they had a thriving business and they had state accounts. And Prop 209 was put into place and within a year they had no business at all. Um, you have... Black students are just not going to UCs, but I can surely talk about the K through 12. What happened in Los Angeles is that there's no opportunity for us to close that achievement gap, to close this academic gap that we're seeing. If we're going to test our students on a certain level and we know that we're not giving re extra resources to these students and they're not meeting it, the state is telling us that we can't give these resources. Right. So even if we find out a year or so later, oh, my gosh, look at these students. We need to do something for them. We cannot do that based on the race or color of their skin, which is race. But we're we're tracking these students at the state level by race. So the SBAC scores come back to the school site by race yeah. and by gender yeah. and by socioeconomic, you know, right. and some other stuff, uh, foster youth. So if we're tracking it, then we need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to help students be able to reach their potential. And not every student, not every student is going to go to college. But um, I, have a, I have several family members who are blue-collar workers. And for you to be able to be a plumber, you have to, read a, you have to be able to read a construction schematic. Right. If you can't read the schematic, how can you be a plumber? Where do you get that learning in our K-12 system? I need to ask you a question now that um, what I'm going to ask you to do now is educate a, a oblivious white woman who's trying to not be oblivious anymore. So 
You know, I mean, it's, it's out there now that these are difficult back and forth, difficult conversations and I, difficult because I want to not be offensive, but I have a question that I just don't understand something. So okay. here I go. Um, like I have taught and I have taught like in, um, you know, the, the ghetto of San Francisco Bayview. Have you ever been there? Mm-hmm. I have not been there, but I've heard about it. Yeah. And um, yes, I noticed that the the whole language was completely different. And sometimes I would have trouble understanding them. Right. And so and so what I'm trying to understand is there's something where the kids are growing up with a completely different language when they're in their families or in their communities that they kind of have to. It's just like almost growing up. Spanish or something it's it's their own language and so that's what that's why they need this academic language instruction to to bring in more well-rounded language is that it that is some of it yes I think all kids code switch we call it code switching okay um kids today even my kids talk in ways that I don't understand. Yeah. Um, the way they use the language, the way they phrase certain phrases. Yes. I usually don't find out about it till I'm in the car driving with them and I listen to Beyonce. <laughs> uh, right. And then I can say, oh, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> right. And so kids naturally do that. I think the difference is I agree with the way that the standard English learner framework is at the state level that says that we should not punish kids because of the language that they use naturally. Yes. But we need to get them to the language of academia. Um, You and I, uh, or I'm assuming, but I have a graduate degree for me to be able to write my thesis, I had to learn the language of literature. Right. I have an MFA in creative writing. And so I had to learn lit, lit theory and how you broke down the greats in literature um, all the way back, all the way back to Homer and just all the way back. Yep. And so that's academic language. Yes. That's not something, even though I had a bachelor's degree, even though I had a high school diploma, even though I had worked in industry, I didn't understand that academic language. So what, when we talk about academic language and bringing African-Americans or black students up to academic language, we need to teach them the language of the environment that they're in. Yes, yes. And we need to stop saying that they can't reach it. Dr. Bettina Love is a researcher in hip hop and in language. And she talks, she has a video, the last time I saw her speak, she has a video of a 18 month old babbling. And he's babbling to music, Mm. but he's babbling in rhythm. He has pauses, he has stops. So all the pre-language skills that we say that children should have, he has. Yes. 
But he's, but when you look at black children, they stop that in the classroom. Yes. Why do they stop that in the classroom? No one is teaching them the academic language so they can reach yes. what we're asking them to obtain. I hate that. I, I just hate that. And, and so, then they get, then they get boxed into this category of not being intelligent, which is such a lie. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, we forget to tell people that the Moors brought sanitation to Spain. Um, how could you say that black people, the Moors are came out of Nubians who are from Africa. How could you say that they didn't know they don't understand being intelligent or they can't solve a problem. Mm. Mm. We forget that Egypt is in Africa and they built the pyramids that have stand for centuries. Oh yeah. So obviously black students can learn. Um, Beyond obviously. Yeah. Right. We have, we have Beyonce, we had Whitney Houston, we had, you know, we have uh, Viola Davis. They can learn. (laughs) Their skin color is different. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, Yeah, um, it's just, and I think, you know, when we were talking today, one of the things that you, one of the many things that you said that really struck me was that, you know, it's for everyone's advantage that, that we be bringing up the black skinned part of our human family. Yes, it's everybody wins. I mean, everybody wins. Otherwise, what, where is the win in this battle of, of, of ignorance and prejudice that holds people down? Uh. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, it's funny. Um, my kids are of different shades. My husband and I, uh, they're all ours. Um, yeah. We've been married for thirty years. Oh. My, our thir- we've been married for twenty-four years together for thirty, and our young- our oldest is twenty-one. Yeah. And I remember when they were little, and we sit around the table, and the girls would say, "Why are the boys lighter than us?" And I said, "God made many different flowers, right?" <laughs> I said, "Yes." I said, "But they're not all the same color." <laughs> and they said, "You're right, mom." I said, "You got to be able to enjoy." the different flowers that are part of our earth. And so, you know, whether you like lilies or like red roses or you like hydrangeas, they're Mm. different colors or different shapes. And, but they're all there for us to enjoy. There you go. And I, and I believe and that we need to be able to enjoy one another and learn from one another because there's something special about each one of us. Of and so, yeah. And, and, and there's something you can give to my life. I, my second oldest child has high functioning autism and he has taught me about tenacity. <laughs> he's currently going into his junior year in college. And we were told when he was in sixth grade, he would never graduate high school. And he, he ended up being valedictorian of his class. But if he hadn't been in my life yeah. with his disability, I wouldn't understand what tenacity looked like. Yeah. Somebody who would get it done in spite of all the obstacles. Yeah. Um, my third child, and I can go by each one, but my third child has a <laughs> very big eye for color, mm-hmm. for fashion, for art, for design. And she brings all this color and art to my world. 
and opens my eyes in ways that I never knew. Right. Um, so these are the people that enrich us. And why would I give up knowing about a Jodie Foster because she's white? Right. You know, she does remarkable work. Why would I give up um, knowing about Sandra Day, Sotomora, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, sorry, wrong, yes. Supreme Court Justice, yes. Sotomora, because she's Latina. Right. Um, I, we need all these people and we need each other and especially more than ever because our world is so connected. And so why not give all of our children the chance to be the best that they can be so that they can feed off of each other absolutely. and so they can make our world better. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe education is the way to do it. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. And so I'm just, I just need to just bring this all back. Just it's obvious, but to me, Language is, you know, I mean, not just to me, but language is how we all connect and communicate with each other one very important way. So that's why I thought one of the reasons I thought that talking to you about this, this um, element of academic education was really, really definitely closely aligned with the purpose of developing children's social emotional learning and life skills. How can you? How could you interact with someone else if you don't understand the language? Right. It's, it, there's so many facets to that. And, um, and progress with each other and collaborate. Yes. And, yes. And, yeah. And co- okay. Yes. Yes. We can go on. And oh, on and on, yes, we can. <laughs> that's why the African-American parent advocacy team really sat down and, and looked at the district, looked at some of the deficits that they were seeing as parents and advocated with LA Unified to institute a language-based program for every student who was not meeting grade level proficiency and standard English learners, which will accommodate for uh, black students and help move that needle forward for them. Because until we have ACA 5 passed, we have to say standard English learners. Okay. We, uh, so we just have to emphasize on that as we, uh, but I will put in, you will give me some good resource for people to go to in the show's notes, please. And I will talk to people that I know. I mean, this is so, so fundamentally important and timely where people really are going to understand this. What, I just have to ask you one more question before we close. What kind of, um, opposition are we going to see by the put in there by the lobbyists or whoever is going to oppose this do you know what kind of opposition people are going to for be tri- yes that people are going to be tricked by maybe so for the assembly constitution amendment five which yes. is aca five yes one of our biggest uh opposition is the asian pacific islander community mm. they fear that it's going to take away some of the things that they already have and that they don't want to be judged by the, by race, um, which I can completely understand. I bet. Um, but I think that it is, it is not okay for society. If a portion of our society is not moving forward. Yeah. We have Ward Connolly who instituted who was the lead, an African-American man who was the lead in 1996, who is pushing that opposition. And 
he actually no longer lives in California. Wow. And most of the opposition is coming from out of state of California. Okay. And so California, the demographics has changed. We have dreamers in DACA and black students and women. And there is many, many different um, research that has shown that there has been a drop in everybody having a seat at the table. Yeah. Uh, having the opportunity to have a seat at the table, if you want to say it that way. Okay. And so we need to make it equitable. We can only survive as the one one of the fifth largest economies in the world if we're all in the at the table together. Sure. And so it's going to take all of us, and it really needs to be for all of us. You know, I, I'm an American. I was born and raised in the United States of America, and I really believe in it's all of us. Of course it is. It's, it's about the people. And so we need each other. And so the opposition is going to say there's race quotas. There's no quotas. You cannot do that in the state of California anymore. Okay. Um, they're going to say that you want to pit one race against the other. Mm. No, we want equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and equity is different than equality. Mm-hmm. Equity is um, bringing those who have the worst to the same level as everyone else. Um, in terms of opportunities or in terms of? In terms of the, the thing that I think about is I saw a picture about equity and it was a fence and everybody was looking over the fence oh, at I've the ball that. game. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. And some people are tall <laughs> and some people are short. Equity is you give your shortest person whatever they need to be at the same height as the tallest person. Okay, yeah. So the tallest person can look over, and I'll, I'll use in terms that people can understand. A six-foot person can see over a fence that a five-foot person cannot. Yep. And so you give that five-foot person 12 more inches to stand on. Right. That's equity. Right. And so you give them what they need. And then you have somebody who's five-five, so you give them seven more inches, right? Right. And so that is what we're asking for here in the state of California. Right. Let's do right by all of our citizens. Right. And we have the population in the state that understands that. Yes. That everybody should have that opportunity. Everybody's not going to necessarily go to a UC or a Cal State or any college in the state. But we want them to be productive people in society because when we have productive people in society, they pay their taxes and we can do more with our state monies. And not be putting LPs. money into uh, private prisons and all of that garbage. Yes. Ugh. Yes. Ugh. Yes. The Ugh. school of prison pipeline. Yes. At third grade, they can tell you how, where, how yes. many prison seats they need. Yeah. Which is crazy. Oh, and that's God. a whole different conversation. Oh, that's a whole other horrible <laughs> conversation. All right. All right. Um, we will yeah. say goodbye now, but not forever at all. No. No, this is a nice conversation to keep having. I would love um, at some time in the future to even go more into ACA5. Oh, yes. Because I'm really excited. Uh, we're a couple of days away for, for from it getting out of the um, Senate, state Senate, knock on wood. And um, when it's on that November ballot, we want you to make sure that you know exactly what it's going to do. Oh, my gosh. And listen to what other people will tell you. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so um, we'll have another episode about that really soon, okay? Okay, sounds okay. great. Thank uh, you so much for inviting me. This oh, was such a great conversation. Thank you. This is so important. These are the kinds of things we all need to become more aware of, you know?
I mean, yeah, it's just, thank you, Charnel. Thank you so much. Okay. I appreciate it. Oh, I do too. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Clearly, Charnel and I are just getting started. She has so much feet on the ground, upfront and close experience about obstacles and solutions for students' welfare. I hope you'll read her article describing current educational injustice in California as mandated by law. I recently came across a powerful quote that is quite relevant to this conversation. Freedom isn't just about a lack of bondage. It's about having choices and access. Issues like Prop 209 may seem disconnected from social-emotional learning, but once you and I have our blinders removed with accurate knowledge, once we understand the cause-and-effect patterns, how can we not embrace constructive avenue for change? I've always been fascinated by social-emotional learning because my long teaching experience has revealed that it can be a profoundly effective foundation for win-win living. For everyone, of course, because that's what win-win implies, right? If you are winning and I am winning, where is the downside? All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for being here.